0: This is the BBC.
1: This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio four. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. There's a river system which rises in rural Hertfordshire. It travels south and empties out into the Thames at London. But to say it's a simple river system misses really... The uniqueness of this particular place. I'm talking about the Lee River and in particular the Lee River navigation. And if you were to take um, a walk down through the Lee Valley, it's about 26 miles, you will be surrounded by both rural countryside and an industrial landscape of the present and of the past. So for this week's Open Country, I want to try and discover the Lee Valley. What are its stories? What has man been doing to this river system to his benefit for centuries? I'm standing on one of those lovely little canal bridges which rises quite steeply up over the canal and you've got your white and black painted iron railings. And I'm standing here with Florence Salbater. And Florence, to really begin to understand this landscape you're a good person to come to you're with the Canal and River Trust and you're their heritage advisor what are your first thoughts about this Lee Valley in particular this navigation
2: it has been the place where there has been so many conflicts between the different users And so it has been transformed by man, used by man. You could almost say it been abused by man. Where did the tensions come from then that you mentioned? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, when the government could see that actually developing this river more for navigation, then that's when conflict started to appear. The conflict came in because you had obviously the mill owner on one side who themselves were trying to create some little channels to power their mill. And so they didn't want channelling that water just for navigation. And the navigation was about also the transporting of goods north and south.
1: This was a very
2: important highway for that. Absolutely. And there were other people doing that by land. They were called badgers. So there was the the badgers and they thought, well, wait a minute. We are going to lose a lot of uh, our livelihood here. And it actually came to some violent conflicts. You had mobs of like 50 to 80 people attacking boatmen.
1: Canals, obviously, were about transport. Yep. Is it known
2: what was being barged up and down here? Yes. a lot of uh, grains being transported down the river. Uh, it changed over time, and if we jump to the earlier 20th century, they were transporting a lot of timber. And what was coming back up again then because I'm sure they wouldn't have come with empty loads (laughs) Uh, One of the things that actually the the waterways throughout the country have transported a lot was manure because in London you have so many horses you know that the river navigation here is quite well known for growing plants And you're, you're referring
1: to some of the industries that were then burgeoning Along the Lee Valley here and they could do that because they had this navigation system this very busy highway that Florence you and I are just sauntering along beside on a peaceful afternoon you know with the vegetation
2: growing on the sides and dipping down into the still waters we see it now with slightly more romantic eyes I think than it might have been once
1: you look at the use of the waterways now radically different isn't it
2: it is in the sense that there isn't as much transport of goods. There are still many boats on the river and on the canal system. But they're quite a cherished part of landscape,
1: the canal systems, and then these lock systems in particular, with
2: their great gates that hold back the, yes. the, the, the water. Very near here, we have records of the first pound lock that has been built around Waltham in 1576. This is Aqueduct
1: Lock 8. Mm. And what we have very often at a lock is the lockkeeper's house that goes with it.
2: Absolutely. So
1: I'd like you to come and meet a family, Florence, who have a long association of being keepers of the locks and the water systems. Hello. Hi. Barbara. Yes,
3: I'm Barbara. Hi,
1: Hi, I'm Helen. How do you do? Nice to meet you. Barbara, just explain the family history, who's who
3: and who did what on the canal and the locks. And things. My father in law, he lived here and he done the weir and the lock.
2: That was aqueduct lock? Yes, that he had he to do aqueduct. After. Yeah, he had
3: to go and um, ride his bike up there because they never had keys for the boats. You couldn't come through unless you got permission to come through.
1: What date are we talking about, roughly, he was working? 46, 47. And it came with accommodation
3: when you did Yes, your the house went with a job. Yeah. And if it, the rain came up like it has now, you had to go out and open the, gates. open the gates. It was a heavy job, my husband done it as well, because when we moved in here, it was still like that, the old-fashioned way of doing it, so he used to do it. But he made a, a machine that you put outside the front door, and when the water come up to a certain level, it would ring a bell in my house. And the British Waterways made a pattern of it. They I hope absolutely. they called it Newton's Bell. Oh, no, I don't know what they <laughs> called it.
1: <laughs> and your husband, he passed away... Mm, twenty over 25
3: years ago. Oh, gosh, but that then would mean you'd have to give up where you lived. No. The house come up for sale, so then we bought it. No way was we going to give it up.
1: Because of that real because, strong
3: family connection. Yeah.
1: Your daughter, Loretta, has joined us, Barbara... We're hearing about y- your father and your grandfather and their very physical work managing the locks. And in just a, a short run of this wonderfully extensive mm. navigation, mm. is the canal very much now... It can generate income by having people coming in to fish. We are a well-known barbell fishery. So, a lot yeah, we've had a lot of people coming down recently, quite well-known people. Your father was a great fisherman, and your father-in-law, Barbara, was obviously a great fisherman.
3: I fish. You fish? That's you why the men should have all the fun. I couldn't agree more. No. Were you were you a dab hand? Near enough.
4: <laughs> <laughs> In her eyes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh
3: no, I did catch a ten pound six barbel, so I did do that.
4: When I was about 18, I moved out, and just like my dad, I could not wait to get
3: back. We well, are isolated, but... We're nice. n- but we're not, if that makes sense. We, we are open. It's open now, isn't it? Because all that over there was all greenhouses, nice. so we knew everybody.
4: When I was younger, I used to work oh,
3: for yeah, the greenhouses, filling pots,
4: pots of out. dirt for I the think. flowers. When you go down the lane, you can see some marble where some of the
1: greenhouses used yeah. to be. Um, so we've come along the non path side it's and right, we're going to walk out onto the weir. Oh, yeah. my goodness, look at that foaming mass of water. <gasps> and this happens just because there was a day of heavy rain yeah it fills and swells and
3: froths yeah. the way it does you, now you see this These was where the, the the gates went
1: yes you had to lift them see up the grooves oh my yeah. gosh
3: what a huge physical
1: task that must have been oh, yeah. because it's at least i would say 15 foot down and mm-hmm. great and gates and there's about 10 of them all the way across the river so angry
3: looking so Terrifying, Barbara. No, no, no. I like the smell as well. It's got a gorgeous smell to it.
1: I feel as though I've walked into another world. But I was first introduced to this idea because I was on the other side of the canal chatting to Loretta. And she remembers, as a girl, looking across the canal and seeing rows and rows of glass houses. Now, I've come into one of those glass houses, glass warehouses, <laughs> and this is another story of the Lee Valley. It has to do with growing fruit and vegetables under glass. Even though this is massive, it's nothing compared to the scale it used to be. And Gary Taylor, you're the chairman of the Lee Valley Growers Association. Yes, I am, yeah. So what is it now and what was it, this whole
0: enterprise?
5: The first glasshouse, we believe, was built in 1876. Um, Most of the house in the rest of the country was probably centred from here and then then grown from, from the Lee Valley.
1: Had local conditions, you know, the very soil of the land, did it have anything to do with why the Lee Valley was chosen?
5: I think there was a number of reasons. There was a plentiful supply of water. It was close to London, but it didn't attract the London prices. Uh, and to avoid the pollution, we were, we were driven a bit further north, so most of the glass that you see now is, is in and around the north-east corner of, uh, of London. Yeah. The produce from the Lee Valley went into, via horse and cart, to the London market, so Nine Elms, Covent Garden and places like that. Mm-hmm. Well I I think the the glassless industry played a a major part in producing food for the UK during the war effort but at the turn of the century we had around 500 acres in commercial production and by the 1960s we had around 1200
1: acres. My goodness the glint uh, uh, during sunshine from the glass must have been blinding.
5: Well it was known as the sea of glass (laughs) so the Lee Valley was known as as the sea of glass with all the new technologies with CO2 with screening with efficient boilers and and, and all the, the management. We would probably produced somewhere around about 30 tons an acre 30 or 40 years ago and we probably produced somewhere around about 280 tons an acre now of, of tomatoes.
1: Well just to sort of take in the surroundings again even though it's a fraction of the size that it was in its heyday we are in a vast glass warehouse and it's like a forest of plants towering above our head being held high actually by strings from the ceiling but these are great Pepper plants in this particular greenhouse. And the ripest peppers are just at the very top, obviously, yep. way into the end of the season.
5: This is the largest of the glass houses here, but this represents five acres of peppers. And we pick around about a million kilos off of the nursery, give or take, depending on how good or bad the year is, all hand picked.
1: I'll never think the same way about when I buy a pepper. I should think of the Lee Valley from now on. <laughs> what else is grown now and compared to what was grown?
5: cucumbers peppers and aubergines with an increasing amount of tomatoes
1: when you look at the history of the lee valley you can see how there's been great growth but then of course invariably there's decline and then decay and if you're lucky regeneration in some cases along this this valley area is it here to stay
5: i think it is it is beginning to move forward, but certainly the Lee Valley, we won't ever get back to 1,200 acres. In the next 20 years, we're, we're looking to move from about 250 back to around 500 acres. You can actually make a living out of it. I've made a good living out of it over the years. It'll all, always all be very...
1: part of the Lee Valley.
5: It, it is, and it's and its essential part of the landscape. People don't realise, 12 miles from the centre of London, that this industry has existed for the last 140 years. But even people in the village don't realise and it's on their doorstep.
1: So, we've just heard from Gary how the glasshouse industry emerged in the Lee Valley, but that's not the only industry to have really thrived amongst the valley's green and watery spaces. I'm now going to travel about three miles south of here in Nazing to visit the gunpowder mills at Waltham Abbey. It's a story that's developed over centuries and one that is yet again deeply intertwined with the Lee Valley's waterways. So I'm with Lance Barn. What are you to do with this particular site, Lance?
0: I'm the general manager and I've been here for about three years now.
1: And this is known as Waltham Abbey...
0: Royal Gunpowder Mills.
1: Royal Gunpowder Mills. Now, there's a long and fascinating military history to this place. Indeed. And we're going to explore it a little bit here in... Are we about in the centre of the Lee Valley?
0: Virtually exactly in the centre of uh, Lee Valley. Okay. So, on the western side, you have the Horse Mill Stream... And on the right-hand side, or the eastern side, you have the uh, Cornmill meadows. The water was used both for transport and power. So water mills were used in the manufacturing process. Now these waterways are very much inhabited by wildlife.
1: <laughs> Come on, I want to find out about this story. You've recommended that we take the jeep up to the northern end of the site.
0: We've got 170 acres on site, and to walk around would take us quite a few hours.
1: And very suddenly, we've left the quite elegant gunpowder buildings behind us, and we're into woodland. But what I'm seeing, this is nature taking over after man moved out. So, if we go into the depth of the wood, we can then explore this story of... It's Gunpowder History.
0: This is the Grand Nitrator. This is where nitroglycerin was made. It is a completely man made structure.
1: And a great mound.
0: It's been totally overtaken by nature with a fantastic tree um, growing out of the top of it. Yeah.
1: And and the greenery all up the sides, breaking into the concrete.
0: Um, Its history is quite fascinating. Nitroglycerin is a very unstable explosive. If you pump it, it explodes. If you drop it... It explodes. You actually had to have this hill because you used gravity for what they called the nitration process. So you're going to need to take me back a little bit, Lance. Gunpowder's only actually been manufactured here on site for about the last 300 years.
1: But what was driving the creation of this gunpowder plant?
0: Originally, war. And
1: the need for
0: a supply. And that's why the site in the late uh, 1700s was taken over by the Crown. But it wasn't the Crown who initiated the process, it was
1: individuals.
0: Correct, they were private business people, and this was essentially a factory.
1: You mean like in the 1700s it was a factory? Yes. That must have been one of the first industrialised areas, really.
0: Uh, yes, pretty much so.
1: Mm-hmm. Can we walk a little bit Lance? Yeah. Because... As we were driving along, we were passing all the buildings that were used in gunpowder production. And here we are suddenly now in, in a forest. I could be far out into the countryside somewhere. We're just at the foot of this mound. Do you know, it, it reminds me a little bit, actually, almost of like an Inca monument. Do you know what I mean? The way that the stone structures appear out of the undergrowth, rising up in front of us.
0: And also we see a very nice woodpecker just flying across up there. The great thing about structures like this is they provide so many different habitats. But what lies beneath that is the story of the gunpowder production. How significant was
1: this place in that whole piece of military history?
0: I think it probably came to its fore in the First World War. And if it wasn't for factories like this one, well, that particular endeavour wouldn't have been one. And back at the truck. I've got mm-hmm. the ingredients of gunpowder there for you.
1: Right. <laughs> OK. OK. It's such an odd combination, explosives and wildlife. So.
0: Right, I've got you the three constituents of gunpowder here. And here we have some alder charcoal. Mm, yes. You can see the big lumps on it. And that was made right here.
1: From the alder trees yep. that are growing along the side of the road.
0: That's right. Then um, sulphur wasn't made here. Sulphur has a very pugnant smell and you can have a quick oh. sniff. Rotten eggs, definitely. Uh, And then your last ingredient, potassium nitrate. And essentially, that was made from poo. So you could get two out of three of the ingredients that you needed right here on site. Mm -hmm. But what made this part of the Lee Valley so significant is that you were so close to central London and the port of London itself. So it wasn't designed to be here. It grew from here. So the production of explosives pretty much uh, finished here in 1945. Then it immediately reopened as a top-secret establishment for the development of rocket motors and rocket propellants. Then in 1991, decontamination works started and then it was taken over by the Waltham Abbey Royal Gunpowder Mills Charitable Trust.
1: So it keeps the story of the gunpowder mill alive, but it is also about seeing how nature has reclaimed land that was left waste.
0: The funniest thing is when people come here, they always refer to the tranquility of the site. And with a history like ours, that's an odd thing to say.
1: But it's true. It is true. I feel as though I'm more in a country park than in a place that was the, the centre of the making of deadly weapons.
0: Do you want to hear some gunpowder going off?
1: Well, we're here too.
0: Okay, <laughs> give it a go. <laughs> okay. Uh, just to let you know, I'm going to have to throw this about three meters in front of us. You will be perfectly safe, okay? But it will make a loud bang. Okay. Are you ready?
1: frightened the birds and me and there's that drift of smoke came back towards us there that acrid smell
0: Um, That's scary That (laughs) is the type of thing that is actually used in bird scarers Strange
1: It's part of the story of the place but to recreate that noise I find having listened to birdsong and the running of water I find that really ugly and intrusive
0: You couldn't have come here without an explosion it wouldn't have been right
1: Was it always war that was driving the production of gunpowder?
0: No. As soon as the metropolis of uh, London started to build up, explosives became very important for the construction of big urban areas. The Lee Valley was particularly good because you've got good quantities of sands and gravels here. You would have had glacier action here and that is why you've got so many sands and gravels.
1: So the explosives was used in construction and the very substrata of the Lee Valley was used in construction? Yes. Blow it up and then build it? Yes. It's a wonderful 26-mile corridor of stories of uh, humans and their interactions with a very unusual landscape, which is both rural and industrial all at the same time. But as you come down into the southern reaches as the River Lee heads down out into the Thames there's a wonderful story here to do with the very water of the river and I'm with Jez Hodinot who is one of the conservation managers of the Lee Valley Park Authority. Here there's a story to do with filter beds. We're down near Leebridge Road
4: in uh, Walthamstow and Hackney in the border. The filter beds were actually first built after the cholera epidemic the essex filter beds which we are here at the moment were built in the 1870s they brought the water down an aqueduct and then into these filter treatment beds and then it was pumped out to the people in the surrounding area so they
1: would have clean drinking yes so they'd have been pictures of the thousands of lives that that would have saved I mean, it's not functioning now, obviously, but at its time, it must have been incredibly innovative. You know, here we are. I feel as though we're walking through the countryside because of the lovely tree growth around us. But, of course, sirens, traffic. Again, it's that sense of the threshold between the wild urban and
4: wild nature. The filter beds actually ran down in about the late 60s, 70s. So there was quite a gap of time when this wasn't being managed at all that's where all the trees have come in and then when we took it over we did start to manage it for the wildlife
1: This is not what I expect in a bird hike so there's a long concrete path um, it's about two cars wide and there are tall wooden creosoted planks and beams and doorways all along the sides and then we come to the more traditional aspects of a bird hide and that's the, the flaps in the wall. <laughs> There's six
4: radial beds here and each one is managed in a slightly different way. Gosh, which window should
1: I open? It's like a wonderful place called Let's Open the Middle Window and goodness knows what may be beyond. Open water, ducks. Oh, and something just pecking yes. on the weed down that's there. That's a coot, the ones with the rusty heads. They're mm-hmm. uh, pot charms. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jez, I want to go and open another window. I'm going to try the one up here. Oh, it's completely different. There is a, there is a little bit of water, but much more dense, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so this was a, more managed for our, as a wet
4: woodland, so some gadwall out there. They're the ones that have kind of like a black rump.
1: It's so peaceful. I mean, yes, I know I can hear a plane, but it's still got its own sort of atmosphere, hasn't it, has, <laughs> yes? Jez, you know, people, when they're listening to us being here... They may think there's some very clever radio editing going on, a mixing of sounds being done carefully in a studio somewhere, but that's not the case. We are surrounded by the sound of wildlife and the trundle and thunk of trucks. They are cheek by jowl in this corridor. They are where <laughs> the development of urban and yet <laughs> wildlife are running side by side. cheek by jowl,
4: yeah people wouldn't believe if they were in the middle of the city to find a place like this that has so much wildlife and so rich in different birds and
1: butterflies and dragonflies out here in the plants and if you were coming to the lee valley you would be doing yourself and the valley a disservice just to come to this say one southern tip of it because there is a story to be told along its whole length i know it's 26 miles and that's quite a long way but it is worth Looking at the whole valley as one magnificent story, it's connected and joined, and it's a story that runs right through history, from the earliest days when it was marshland and uninhabitable to where we are now.